This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell from the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Roger Simpson, welcome to Better Reading. Thank you very much. Delighted to be here. So Roger is one of Australia's leading television writers and producers. He created the highly acclaimed telemovie series that began in 1994, Halifax, and its sequel, Halifax Retribution, which I saw both at the time. He also created uh, Stingers, Something in the Air, and Silver Sun. He has now written his first ever book featuring the forensic psychologist, Dr. Jane Halifax, set 20 years after the TV series. It was kind of ahead of its time, wasn't it, that TV series? Yeah, I'd like to think so. It was, yeah. uh, it wasn't usual to have a, a female lead in a crime show, certainly in Australia. Yeah, yeah, it certainly wasn't. Uh, is it still, can you still see it somewhere or is it not streaming? Yeah, it, it can still, I think it's streaming on Stan. Oh, um, okay. It comes and goes, you know, they, they put it on for a period of time and then they take it off to try to create some demand for it, and then they put it back on again. Right. You can see a lot of the old Halifaxes on YouTube, but it's pretty poor quality. Somebody's mm. just dumped them there. So that's not a very satisfactory viewing, but you can see them there. If you're at, at the time, how involved were you with them? Tell me how they came about. Well, the show came about, we had Rebecca Gibney in a, another series we were doing about the Snowy Mountain Scheme called Snowy. And uh, that show didn't get renewed after its first season, but Channel 9 were very interested in having something created for her because she was particularly popular. Mm. She's a wonderful actor. I like her so much. No, she's very good. And so they wanted something created for Rebecca. The Sunday night movies were being withdrawn by the Hollywood studios because they discovered that they could get more money for them by putting them out on video than selling them to the network. So the networks had these Sunday night movie slots available. So we developed a tally movie franchise, initially made six of them, nearly killed Rebecca in the process because she's in almost every scene. So from then on, we only made three a year, and uh, we continued that until we got to 21. But it was created to for something for Rebecca to do and to fill a time slot that Channel 9 had on a Sunday night. And it was really good television. Okay, so tell me, you know, tell me about yourself and how you came to writing, like what, how you came to writing, how your career started as a writer and then how it moved to television. Did you think when you were at school that you were going to be oh, a TV probably, writer? I didn't think I was going to be a TV writer because I don't think my parents allowed, we didn't even know that such a thing existed. No. I had to do, I did law um, and when I was doing law, University, I got heavily involved in student review 
that's when my writing career really started. Where did you grow up? Plays at school. I grew up in Dunedin in the South Island of New Zealand, and then I went to university in Auckland. So mm-hmm. I was um, offered a partnership, but then given some very good advice by the senior partner who said he'd always regretted taking the first partnership that was offered to him. And I said, Was there anything else I would like to do? And I said, Well, I've always thought I wouldn't mind giving writing a go. But there were no opportunities in New Zealand. So I came across here and got a job eventually with Hector Crawford writing cop shows. And that's where it all started. And I'm still here, still running cop shows. <laughs> did you love watching cop shows? Like where did that passion yes. come from? I did. I did. I think my favourite back in those days, is a long time ago, was Z Cars, the English show. And then Softly, Softly, Task Force and Barlow at Large. I loved all those cop shows. I thought I was going to Hector Crawford and work for him for a couple of years, then continue on to England. I never got out of Melbourne, (laughs) got kidnapped by Hector, and I've been in Australia ever since. Mm. I often talk to writers about books, I meaning books versus TV, and often Mm. it's going that way around. Like if you talk to Michael Rowbotham, you know, I was just talking to Melina Marchetta with looking for Ala Brandy, that the book is first. And then they then have to go back. I mean, and very often the author doesn't write the script, but they're collaborative processes. And you're shaving, like, you know, you're starting off with 70,000 words. And what does the script look like? What, 10,000, 20,000? I mean, how do you go from that to that? Well, it was quite a shock, really. And I, I, I probably wouldn't have done it had the publisher not come along and twisted my arm. It was a very terrifying process for me because I'd never written prose before. So you're going the other uh, way around, right? Yes. So, Roger, before you start to tell me that, sorry to interrupt, so that our listeners and and me can get into our, to, uh, to understand, is with a script, I mean, how many words are we usually talking about? I know it varies and books do, but we're always at uh, 60,000. talking 80 pages. We don't really count the words. We count right. the pages. Okay. And it's sort of, you know, it's, well, that's a one-hour script. That's a one-hour script. So a tally movie is probably 110 pages long, mm. and it's just got the dialogue and, and, the, and the camera direction, the big print, as we call it. It's got no prose, no description. If you want a sunset, you just tell it camera to point at the sunset. You don't have to describe it, which is quite a challenge. When I, when I had to describe my first sunset. That was terrifying. I was just uh, I had to avoid all those obvious cliches. And, but the other, the major difference is you don't get a chance to get inside Jane Halifax's head until you come to write the book because you can then you can write her thoughts and what she's thinking and what she's looking at and thinking something else, how she's judging the people around her how she's noticing that some of the cops aren't, you know, handling this crime very well. And so all that goes on. You have to imply that in television. You know, it's called expository if you spell that out. So it's quite a different form. And uh, the other big difference is you don't have anyone to blame. In television, if it doesn't come out okay, you can always blame the director or the actors for misinterpreting it or the network for programming it incorrectly. But uh, with the book, it's just you and the reader and no one else. I mm. felt very exposed. Mm. Yeah. But I loved, it. I loved it eventually. I had a very uh, understanding publisher who held my hand through the process and uh, two really good editors, and so they got me there. 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, there is collaboration after you've been isolated for you yes. know, a certain amount of time, one, two, three years, whatever. So with the character, with having a forensic uh, psychologist, how is that in terms of research? Now, again, for the screenplay, you would have called in on, you know, various experts, but how do you do yeah. that in a book? Well, it's much the same process. I had the wonderful Paul Mullen, who was Professor of Forensic Psychiatry at uh, Melbourne University, was the advisor on the original Halifax series. Uh, Then you kind of get used to the right books to go to. Uh, You don't want to make it too technical either because that's not what the reader's after. They're really after a a crime story and they want uh, Jane Halifax to sleuth her way psychologically through the puzzle. So it's you do have to do your research because it has to be accurate and you have to get – I always have a police advisor and a medical advisor and they read the version and come back and say, well, you haven't quite got that right and it's tidied up afterwards. But I don't let the research get on the road when I'm writing the plot, the plot in the first draft. Uh, that can be fixed up afterwards because it can interrupt the flow and if you start worrying about that, you're writing a – you're writing too technically and, and not emotionally enough. Just earlier today, I spoke to Kathy Rikes. Oh, yes. She was over in the US, yeah. Oh. And she's a forensic um, anthropologist, as you probably yeah. know. And she, she was saying almost exactly the same thing as you there to say that, you know, what you've got to be careful if you're a writer that has that background, that you don't bog the reader down in that detail. Yes. You know, because they... They're interested, but only to a certain point. And it's like, you know, I read a book recently and the the, the author, it was bird watching. There was a fiction book, but with bird watching in it. And the detail with bird watching was just over the top. Like it just started to bore me. And yeah. I thought that's his passion. You could see that that was the author's passion, but it we didn't necessarily need the detail in the book. I think that's important too. I think it's it's got to be authentic and mm. you've got to create a world where you believe that, Jane Halifax really is a forensic psychiatrist, and that, but you don't want her banging on about it all the time. You just have to take it as read that she knows what she's doing and you follow her thinking and you follow her sleuthing and on you go. Mm-hmm. Now, taking me back right back to the script, why is it that she was a forensic psychologist and were there very many forensic psychologists at the time who were women? Well, the Channel 9 wanted a crime show, but we I didn't want a crime show where the, the story was solved with a gun. So I didn't want a cop show in that sense. I didn't want the police solving the problem. I wanted someone else, a psychological version of a detective. So that's how I came up with uh, the psychiatrist, yeah, forensic psychiatrist. There weren't a lot around at the time, but there were some. Mm, mm. When you write a script, and I'm not quite sure how television works, do you then, are you there when it's being shot and are you there making tweaks and changes? Does that happen? Not a lot. Um, Only if there's a problem on set, they might call on you and come down, but usually the problems are solved by then. Mm -hmm. Um, And and television is such a, a big machine. It doesn't like changes. You know, once that final script is signed off on, it doesn't even like the actors changing lines, you know, because it's all approved by a lot of people by the time it gets to that stage. The network, uh, the investors, everyone's 
already had their chance to change the, the script. So it doesn't get changed much on the floor. That hardly ever happens. And the poor old writer has no time to go down and watch the production anyway because he's or she is too busy writing the next one. Mm. It, it's a big, hungry animal television. It just keeps you writing flat out all the time. Mm. So there's not that luxury. No one's got three months off to just go and watch, the, it, which is very enjoyable. No, you don't get paid to do that, unfortunately. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So you've applied your, um, your skills to writing a book. Did you take the same approach? Like, did you take a disciplined approach in a sense that you were seeing it as a, well, I'm sure your job's not nine to five, but seeing yeah. it as, okay, today I'm writing, today I'm writing, yeah. I'm going I'm, to write 5,000. Yes, yeah. How did yeah, that five, work for you? Yeah. Well, I'm, it's the same in that you do a storyline first mm. and you expand the storyline into a structural document, which is longer. The scene breakdowns in television, um, chapters in a book. You start with all the conceptual work is exactly the same. You ask, why are you writing it? What's the purpose of the book? Uh, what am I trying to say with this book rather than, you know, beyond just telling a story and keeping mm. and the reader's interest? What am I trying to say? And then the most next most important thing is the ending because if they don't like the end of a crime story, they'll throw the book at the wall. So I learned that from um, Bill Link, who was the creator of Columbo, that great uh, American series. Uh, he says, if you don't have an ending, don't leave home. Don't leave home without an ending. Get the ending right, uh, nail the ending, and then plot backwards. And so mm. that's what I've tended to have done with crime stories ever since. Settle on why I'm writing the book or the making the television show. Settle on the ending where I want the reader to end up, you know, where I want the journey to finish. Not not the, necessarily the punchline, but where, where is the journey going to finish? Mm. And is it? be a satisfying journey for Jane Halifax and the other central characters in the book. Mm. So the big difference, though, Cheryl, the big difference is in the editing. In television, you edit as you go. You do a storyline, it gets edited. You do a scene breakdown, it gets edited. You do a first draft, it gets edited. With a book, they don't want to see anything until you've done a first draft, which is terrifying because mm. by then it's pretty hard to change. So they take a big risk, I think, and then you go through maybe a couple of drafts and do, you know, the second and the third draft. But that's about all you can get out of a writer. Whether it's television or a book, you can't take the writer back more than about twice to do a rewrite because it's just 
There's too many things fixed in their brain already for them to change it too dramatically. You can chop bits out and you can add add bits in. It's very hard to change what's already there. Mm. And uh, it's interesting that both forms have three drafts, and I think that's probably about right. And I Mm. think playwrights are about the same too. Mm. I have spoken to authors that have had more than that. But, yeah, look, I for me, I mean, I'm not a writer, but I just think to go back and chop and change um, and to take on editors' comments, as valuable as they are, I think that's a difficult task. However, I've spoken to authors that prefer that process to the first process yeah. of putting it all down. So it really just depends on the writer and what they like. I think I prefer the novel approach where you get to go exactly what right get down on paper what you want and not mm. jump at shadows too much <clears throat> at other people's suggestions along the way. I, I prefer that. But in television, it's written much more quickly than uh, the novel. No one gives you a year to write a television. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> and usually, and the other thing too is in television, it's usually a team effort. You usually. Um, I, I write the pilot, I create the show, but then I run a team of writers who write the other episodes and I write some of them and they write, I write the first and the last one and a couple in between. So that team effort requires more editing of each other and editing it along the way. So I don't think there's any other way of doing television. I think you have to edit. And there's an awful lot of notes from networks, far more than you'd ever get from a publisher. Mm. So that oh, I'm loving writing books. Mm. <laughs> you let it alone, you get it right. And 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 probably the reason I yes, I've also heard of writers who write more than three drafts, but I guess I don't like rewriting and rewriting. So mm. I do a lot of planning before I start. So mm. I know where I'm going and I structure it and I try to work that out because I don't really want to rewrite it a lot. <laughs> but you lose that sort of muscularity, that freshness that you get with the first draft. Mm. And I think that's, um, I put a lot of effort into the first draft and I change things as I go and try to write good sentences. (laughs) So how many Halifax have you written? Is this your first? This is the first one. I'm halfway through the second one right now. I just hit the midway point in the weekend. And how are you feeling about that? I'm feeling more confident, but I'm not cocky yet. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, no writer is. I recently had a group of Australian writers in the office, 28 of them actually, and yeah. I would say not one single person as experienced as many of them are, including Tom Keneally, no one is cocky. No one. I don't think it's a an art form or an occupation or a job that ever comes easy to anyone. I don't think so. I don't, I don't think it attracts cocky people either. No. <laughs> it's very, uh, they're very humble and they show a yeah. lot of empathy usually, yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's correct. So you you are going to do another? Yes, I've got a contract to write three of them. So I'm halfway through the second one and then there'll be another one. The second one will be out this time next year and the mm. third one this time the year after that. And are you are you liking spending more time with Jane Halifax? I'm finding a whole new side of her I never knew existed because I'm getting into her head now and not just, you know, what she does but what mm. she And I didn't realise she was such a reflective person. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> and do you think, I mean, let's. this will be interesting, do you think it's going to go the other way? Do you think we will have more television based on the books? I think so. A book is sort of equivalent of eight episodes, like Retribution. That was eight episodes of television, although in the end we joined the first two together as a sort of a longer-than-normal pilot, a first episode, not pilot. Mm. So, And a book is about the same, and I tend to divide the book up into eight big parts. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. The editor took the parts out in the first book because she said they don't mean anything to the reader. No. <laughs> I said, no, they probably don't. They're just where I think the episodes are going to start and stop. Mm. So we took out those eight parts. But even with this book, I, I've, the way I plan my work, I, I need to think, I still think like a television miniseries writer, you know, dividing it up, dividing mm. the work up into those sort of eight hunks. Yeah. Uh, when I speak, was speaking to Kathy Rikes this morning, we were talking about Temperance Brennan and the Bone yeah. series and the books, of course, and I said to her, because the books are not entirely the series, the series has other stories in it, but I was saying to her, what happens when, because Temperance must be getting old now, she's been around yeah. for a long time, yeah. <laughs> yeah. how do you deal with a fictional character like that? And interestingly, she was saying that she's been thinking, if I'm going to continue writing, then I'll keep her as is, but if I'm not, then I somehow have to give her an end, whatever that is. Yes, yes. Well, um, Jane Halifax in book three will be coming up to 60, the yeah. biggest so. So that's going to be, yeah, that's a real marker in anybody's life. So as she approaches that, that that's a marker. After that, it's interesting. I, I, I mean, I, I haven't thought beyond three books. In fact, I've really haven't thought beyond two at the moment. I don't know what the third one is really going to be about. I toy sometimes with the possibility of taking her back in time when she was a, a younger uh, forensic psychiatrist. I don't haven't made that decision yet, but that's always a possibility. Mm. Um, although, you know, 60 is still young for a, a you know, professional. Oh, gosh, yeah. Well, aren't we, aren't we meant to be... Too old and slow. <laughs> no. And um, aren't we all meant to be working till we're 70 anyway? So yeah, yeah. isn't that the new 60? <laughs> it, is, it is the new 60. So, you know, um, I quite enjoy her ageing mm. and the problems that crop up. In book two, we jump between a case that she did 20 years ago, which uh, she thought had the wrong outcome, which she manages to solve 20 years later. So in book two, we jump between two chains. Oh, well, I like that. One in her late 30s and one in her late 50s. So mm. I get the best, best of both worlds there, which is a great thing you can do in a book. You can go anywhere you like. There's mm. no budget restrictions. You can, you, know, and you don't have to worry about budgets. Yeah, in television, I have to think twice about going back you know, to the 1990s and, and you know, organising all those cars and streetscapes and costumes and it's a nightmare, you know, even the tramps are the wrong colour. So you've got to, you've got to go back. It's a very expensive decision. The other good thing about writing the book is that I, I was able to bring back in book one in, in Transgression, I was able to bring back the character that Hugh Jackman played originally. Now, knowing full well, I could never afford to hire him for television anymore because he's a superstar and he probably wouldn't do it anyway. But um, I can bring the character back in the book. Mm -hmm. So 
this huge freedom of the book. Sounds like you're having a lot of fun, Roger. Um, <laughs> you are. It. Yeah. You are indeed. Uh, we're out of time. Thank you so much for chatting with me today. It's been great, Cheryl. Thank you for having me. If you'd like more information about Better Reading, follow us on Facebook or visit betterreading.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.